Fun Parts is a show about, well, all our fun parts. But just a heads up that we'll be speaking pretty frankly about bodies, sexuality, spirituality, faith, and a host of other related topics. This episode includes references to sexual abuse and trauma, which may be difficult or triggering for some listeners. Also, you might not want to listen with your kids around. Finally, you can join the discussion on our Instagram page at Fun Parts Podcast. I just want us to get started because my husband has arrived and I just want to touch oh, you his body. you got to get in and squeeze that man. <laughs> I do. So. Oh, pop, the, pop those nipples. Yeah. <laughs> pop, pop. <laughs> From Milieu Media Group, this is Fun Parts. An exploration of sexuality and spirituality. For anyone who's curious or convinced, there must be more. With your hosts, Latifa Alatas, Ashley Lusink, Steve Weens, Luke Bronner, and me, Becky Patton. Okay, so in our last episode, we were sort of dissecting this. Our whole conversation was spurred on by this one listener who wrote in and mentioned because of her deconstruction after, you know, years of marriage in a evangelical relationship. I mean, with that being sort of foundational to the relationship, how today she and her partner are really struggling to feel safe with one another. And that led us off the mics to really diving into the ways in which that is consistent, I think, throughout our culture right now in this moment. So when we were like halfway through season three, releasing season three, we released an episode that really got into some sort of queer perspectives. And on the same day that that episode released, legislation passed in Florida and Texas that was, you know, anti-trans and anti-gay. And so we invited listeners to just sort of pause for a couple of weeks. And, and so we didn't want to move on too quickly from that conversation. And it's interesting that it landed that way. We obviously couldn't have planned it. We also have no idea. We're recording this in May of 2022. This probably won't begin releasing until August or September. So we have no idea even today what will be happening. But we do know what's happening in our country, our country being USA, those of us who are here in the States and in our world and the ways in which dialogue is becoming less and less nuanced and more and more sensationalized and creating a space where it does feel really unsafe certain people, people who we love can feel really unsafe to be honest or to be vulnerable with them. And because that is part of what we want to model on this show, what nuanced dialogue can look like, we felt like maybe we just dive into those things. So where are we today? Well, there's been um, a lot in the news currently about Roe versus Wade. Mm-hmm. So um, that, there was the, the leak of the whole document leakage was what, like a week ago? Something like that. It's very recent. But obviously it's bringing to the front of conversation again, abortion, reproductive rights. And that's always been like a pretty big litmus test, I think, in politics for people, whether they vote one way in particular or the other. And I think for a podcast that's talking about recovering from purity culture and about re-intertwining our sexuality and spirituality. I do think that purity culture and politics have co-mingled on this topic and done a lot of unnuanced conversation and a lot of demonizing of the opposite perspective. 
And I just, I think it's so much more complex than that. And then the other thing at play has been, I believe at this point, I could be wrong. It's about 26 states are trying to pass new policy to, you know, undo the rights of gay marriage, trans rights, things that really affect, I know people I personally love in their life. And that is really disheartening to me. And I don't think that, hmm, how do I want to say this? I think for people where it doesn't feel personal, it doesn't feel at the forefront of their mind because it's not having a direct impact on their life or someone's life that they love. And I wish there was a way for us to create more of a bridge so that we could understand it is life and death for some people. And it does deeply matter. And I think that like, I'm not a politics expert. So like, I don't want to draw some big line between how like all these policies are intermingled and how they all affect each other. I know there's people that do that and are more educated in that. But I do think where our conversation comes into play in particular is how does our purity culture, how does our spirituality, our sexuality impact the actual behaviors and how we vote and how we live amongst people and how we discuss things that can feel really like dangerous to discuss right now because we've seen families get torn apart or churches separate or marriages end, I think probably too, over like some of these topics. And it kind of brings me back to what we were saying in the last episode of like, I might have a different set of beliefs than you, but I'm still the same person. I'm still the person maybe you laughed with or enjoyed that movie with or traveled with you or shared this experience with you. Like I'm not all of a sudden a monster on either side of the aisle because I hold a different opinion than you. And I know that like where that can get challenging is when it does feel like life and death to someone, it does feel like you're rejecting me at the core or you're putting my life at risk. So it's like, how do we come towards each other in that? I'm sure I'm going to share opinions in this episode that some listeners might disagree with or feel confused by, or, or you might be totally on board, but it's like, how do we approach each other with kindness and with nuance and with space so that we can actually dialogue about like, why does this matter to you in this way? Like, what is really the crux of the issue for you? I think we're afraid to kind of approach that in ourselves, like really ask ourselves, why does this matter to me? And I think that's a much more interesting conversation than just like, where do you fall? Mm -hmm. do you know? Yeah. I think often about lately about how, how much time we spend trying to simplify things and how simplifying things only complicates them. <laughs> like it only makes things harder. So what I mean is when we choose to, rather than engage in nuanced dialogue, we choose to say like, oh, you're pro-choice. You are a baby murderer. You are, you know, we use this, like, it's very easy for us to sum people up and oversimplify mm -hmm. what is perhaps a very, or and almost always a very nuanced, maybe even hard to arrive at conviction or to assume about someone, if they don't fully align with my perspective, then they are wholly the other thing, mm -hmm. which leaves some of us in the liminal space of like, actually, there's like, I have conflicting ideas that I have to hold in tension. And the other sort of cultural piece, at least religious cultural piece that I think is we're sort of in the wake of right now, or maybe still in the wave of right now is we are within a week or two of the beginning of the global Methodist church, which was the movement of 
those within the United Methodist Church who have traditionally been opposed to full inclusion of LGBTQIA folks have now begun the Global Methodist Church as an entirely new denomination. This has mm-hmm. been a, a fight that's been going on for 50 plus years, mm-hmm. probably longer, and that is now actually happening. And mm-hmm. so, which is just, I want to own that because that actually might really affect a lot of people who are sort of caught in this weird space in their home church or their denomination or whatever of like, what what is going on? Mm. I think that what we said before we pushed the record button was that, you know, what we can do in this conversation is try to bring humanity back into it and, and remind folks on, I don't even want to say on either side, remind folks on anywhere in the spectrum of ideas mm. or convictions around this, of the humanity of others on the spectrum of conviction. And I'm trying really hard not to say either side of a belief because I think it's, again, a, an unhelpful simplification. Well, and it happens. Like I remember in 2016, I tweeted something about voting for Hillary on Twitter. And I had somebody write back and say, well, well then you must be okay with murdering babies. That was like literally the response. I was like, no. <laughs> like, one plus yeah. one equals. <laughs> um, I, I do think that like, we're being sort of conditioned again to oversimplify. And so my instinct is like, no, 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 no. Let's not take it there. You know, like as I have been pregnant, like I didn't know what it was going to feel like to be pregnant and how instinctually protective I have felt of this baby boy, like living in, like literally moving around like in my body. But if anything, I, I was telling Lucas the other day, because it had come up in the news and we were talking about it. And I just said, being pregnant and realizing how much care my body has needed, um, the baby has needed between like prenatal vitamins and better nutrition and exercise. And I'm getting to be pregnant with a supportive partner. And at a time in my career and life where I can work extra hard and, you know, no one else is paying my maternity leave, but I can take a little time off and then get back to work, you know? And like, that's all a privilege. And as I'm having a child, like I'm realizing that it's still such a, an immense gift, but also not without expense of myself and my body. And it's definitely made the idea of like, you know, being simply pro-life, not for me anymore, because I'm realizing there's so much involved and sacrifice and even a good situation to bring a child into the world. Like that I'm like, I don't think I could demand this of somebody who is at their end, has no resources. And we live in a country where we don't really support babies and pregnant women and moms, like through the process with any sort of aid, unlike other countries, which do for many, many months, sometimes years. And so it's become more complex for me. It's become more nuanced. You know, as I'm going through this experience, I cannot imagine imposing it on somebody and then leaving them out to dry, like hanging out to dry. But obviously I also really care about his life. Like it's the thing I care about the most. Is it being protected? You know, I'm not flippant about that. There's a person inside of me, (laughs) you know? And so it's kind of like what you're saying. It's like, can we hold that? Like my life and this baby's life are both incredibly valuable and incredibly important. And there's so much at stake, like in different ways, depending on where you are economically and like where you are in a family system or like all these things. And so it's not that simple. It's just not. I think it's important to note that on something as 
huge as Roe versus Wade and abortion Mm -hmm. that it's okay to pick a side and be there pro-choice pro-life and be vocal about that. This is where I am. This is what I believe. Uh, We can't both sides that thing, (laughs) you know, really where nuance comes in is curiosity about learning the perspective of someone else. That's what I hear you saying. Latifah. It's about naming what's really important to me and why and being okay doing that, you know? And then it's also about being okay leaving a conversation that is going nowhere because it just doesn't have the capacity to, to go anywhere other than belittling each other or misunderstanding each other. Um, but I want to learn, I hope the nuances of someone that doesn't agree with me on Roe versus Wade. I want to stretch and grow and get uncomfortable, but it's like, can we, can we, if we're going to get into conversations with people like that, can we establish some ground rules? You know, is that fair? So it's not just the loudest person gets the last word. That's what I get worried about. And I get worried about people having conversations with their families and getting cornered at their parents' houses and stuff. And how do you protect yourself from just getting absolutely triggered and slammed and stuff? So no matter what side you're on. Or villainizing people who don't necessarily align with you. So like, you know, I stand in a place where I was talking about this to Ashley and Latifah when we first arrived and we're catching up the other night, but you know, for me, that journey it has been one of arriving at a place where I realized like someone else drew a line in the sand and told me I have to stand on one side of it or the mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. And I arrived in my late thirties at a place of saying like, actually, no, I don't. Like, I actually think, you know, I can't help that I was raised with a particular idea about the idea that life begins at conception. I'm not a scientist. I don't know all of the things. I just, that's sort of what's inside of me. When I say, when I look inside and look at the belief that's there, I believe life begins at conception, but that does not mean that I cannot hold intention that I actually also believe women should have autonomy over their own bodies. And so that may bother other people because I'm not standing on what they see as one side or the other of a line, but I'm the only one that has to hold that tension. And so to approach me with humanity would be to recognize that like, that's also hard. That's also work that I'm having to do. That's hard of like, I feel convicted in both directions and like that makes it a more nuanced conversation. The reason Latifa, you said something that, you know, about you, you can't imagine imposing that on another person. And I could hear all of the conservative friends and family in my life saying, well, like, well, we're not imposing on them. It's, you know, it's the cost for, yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. and that's where purity culture comes in. It's like, that's what you get for having sex outside that's of exa- marriage. That's ex- I thought about that on my walk this morning and yeah. I was like, Ooh, woof. Which like. takes us back to a really punitive <laughs> yeah. theology that I, I do not agree with in any way. Yeah. And it's also oversimplifying something that is much more complicated, you know, for it's a different scenario for every human being. But to answer that with, well, I'm not the one you impose this on yourself. Well, <laughs> I'm just protecting that little baby. And, you know? and the thing that like, I totally heard that when I was like having the conversation with myself this morning, wondering if we were going to have this conversation, but I've thought many times, like, because a lot of, like, Christian perspective is informing certain, like, politicians and, you know, all those kinds of things that, like, man, if if the church, it would be so much more convincing to me that pro-life 
was really important to them because they care about the actual life. If they like had funds and funds available to single moms or funds and funds available to like provide prenatal vitamins and good nutrition and like maternity leave for like women who have three kids and they're just trying to hold down a job and then trying to bring another baby. Like I'd be much more convinced honestly that like the issue is really, it's not punitive. It's like, Oh, we want to support you in this process. We want to support this precious life that like is coming down, you know, from heaven or whatever. It's like, I don't know, Luke, if life begins at conception, I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's the truth. I, if, I, if I'm being honest, I know some people feel very, very strongly. I don't about know it. either. That's the point I was making just well, for yeah. the record. Like well, I'd... I'm not saying you do, but I was, <laughs> I was, I was taught that it was, but I just, the truth is I don't know. And even being pregnant, I didn't know like at one week pregnant or two week pregnant or three week pregnant. I couldn't have told you. I didn't even know I was pregnant. <laughs> Steve did. Yes. Yeah, Steve. <laughs> Steve saw it coming. He was like, there's a baby in there. But I can see how that perspective could really shift how you feel about the issue as well, though. If that's something you deeply believe to be true, I can see how that would change how you feel about it. I want to make clear too, it's not just single women That's that are true. pregnant. I just want to make sure that yeah, we're there's so many people who are pregnant. I, I mean, <laughs> that that you, abortion. I just think that that is, we can't just dump that all on single women that's and, and that's, but I also think there is something about this underlying current that runs through that. Well, the purity culture runs through and is informing something that is a very narrow view mm. of one way. And I just think, I think it's much more nuanced. Yeah. And well, and that's really the curiosity that I'm bringing to the table. So I mentioned that like in my late thirties, I arrived at this place of deciding to hold that tension for myself. And that was informed largely by what I would consider a feminist awakening for myself of like moving, you know, sort of realizing that like feminist isn't like an insult we hurl at people. Like that's how I was raised to believe that like <laughs> feminist was a bad thing. And, and I've come to believe like, Oh no, I actually, I, I believe these things. That's how I got here. What I would really love to hear is like your, all of your stories of like, how did you, because I, I feel like I know enough of each of your stories to know that you at some point were in an environment that probably promoted one particular perspective and at some point you had to open yourself up to another perspective. I'm just curious if, if anybody would be willing to share how you got where you are on, I, I mean, I guess at this point we're talking specifically around reproductive rights. Yeah. But you can change the topic if you'd like. Yeah. Cause we also want to talk about the lives of trans people, the lives of our LGBTQIA siblings and yeah. But in all of those things, there's been a journey, I think, for each of us. I'm sitting over here with my heart, to be honest, like my heart pounding because this is so, I feel a lot about this. I think especially after becoming a mom, and I so, I love the way, Latifa, you've articulated already, but I've become more pro-choice since becoming a mom because of the level of responsibility of caring for a life and then the experience of how little this country actually cares for the before of like true sex education. Mm. Like how do we get there instead of like, so the whole reason why we're doing this podcast is to talk about how does sex work and have like open conversations because we grew up in a culture where we don't you talk about what? that. Where? Right. You know, like <laughs> literally things I had long? to like reeducate myself <laughs> out about in like, even after becoming pregnant, I was like, Oh, that can happen that way. And like, so there's the before, and then the after, but like, so if we wouldn't have come off a time when we literally cut paid leave, to, like, did we end up with, with four weeks? Did we get 
four weeks. I can't remember where they ended I mean, up with I've legislation. I've myself, so I don't know. But I was very <laughs> aware of this, like being someone who had 16 weeks of maternity leave. And that was, that was nothing in the scheme of like the life of a newborn child. Like that's literally, I thought it was so generous because most people get 12 weeks and it's like, oh, that's my perception is it's generous because that's what I'm given. But it literally should be a year plus. Your body is going through so much. You're learning this child, these different things. And our country could not even gift that. Like, I think it's fascinating that like governmental officials get 12 weeks, but they can't give that to everyday working Americans. Like, so there's that piece of like, we aren't caring for the before and after. We're talking about this in-between moment. And, and it's people who, I saw, I remember seeing this picture of like a panel on Fox News where it was like four white men. Like, these are the people talking about abortion. And you're like, these are people who have never been in the experience of this. And so that's one part about it. And then the other piece was learning, and this was during like early quarantine, spending some time reading, and it was before what happened with George Floyd and everything, like just the awareness of so much injustice in our world, but learning more about the root of where abortion topic even came from, which mm. is like, so Roe versus Wade happened. And at that time, it was not a political conversation. And most Christians believe that life began at the first breath. Oh, like after they were delivered, like the breath yes. outside of the womb? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. And oh. then it was like six or seven years later that it became a political topic because there was a lot of, I believe it was Christian colleges where they were starting to like, there was a topic of them losing their non-tax rates. And so it was around having to segregate more within their systems. So there is a deep thread of racism in this whole topic that it's like if we go back to where this started it hasn't it really isn't about protecting life it's like oh this roots aren't in good intention so just being aware of that because then we would have paid leave we would have comprehensive sex education if it was something where we believed it's about the whole person but it is something that's been set up to be divisive that's the root and so mm. I think the more we can start to understand, like, where did this come from? Like with most things, where did this begin and why? Like it might help us understand the conversation and come to a better way of seeing each other. Well, and I think in light of that, I believe that when we lose our curiosity about something and we claim our assuredness about something, mm. we are shutting down a conversation. We're shutting down discovery, potential and I wonder how much of that is fear-driven. I need to speak up now and filling the silence versus engaging in the tension that you were talking about, Luke, giving yourself the freedom to be in that tension and hold that tension for yourself. Because one of the things that I, I mean, just hearing in this whole conversation, I'm like, well, where did you get that belief? Hmm. Well, whose voice are you hearing in your head right now? And how do you know this to be true? And I think that that's part of, I mean, I'm so old. I actually remember Roe versus Wade. I remember it just first getting walked out. And I remember that moment you asked about the moment for me. I know my moment when, and I grew up in something that I was like, Oh yeah, abortion's wrong. Abortion's wrong. Abortion's wrong. You know, that's what I grew up in that culture. That's what I was seeped in. And I remember I was on a city bus going to my work and I remember my husband and I were having this conversation because he had been seeped in the same thing. And I knew that I knew that I knew 
wait, but why does somebody else get to tell me Mm. what's right for my body? Mm. And I looked at him and I remember looking at him and going, wait, I don't know that I believe that anymore because I need to look at what voice is coming from me. And I think this goes back to what we were talking about and the fact that what is the wisdom inside of every human being that is waiting to come to life? Mm. And I don't regret that I grew up on that belief system. It was what was given to me, but I would really regret. And I'm actually now thinking, oh my gosh, that moment. I remember, Mm. I remember the name, the number of the bus. It was a 637. And I remember I was standing in the back of the bus and Mm. I just remember literally looking at him and going, wait, why does somebody else get to tell me what's right to do with my body? And it was like, there was something about embodying my own body in a way that went, I, and at that moment, I don't even think I knew what I believed, but I knew that I had a choice to listen to the wisdom inside of me. Well, and if you think about like, who are the other people in society that we tell them what to do with their body? They are people who are children. They are people who are in prison or they are people who don't have the capacity to make decisions for themselves. And to lump all and people who are attracted to people that aren't the heteronormative like standard that we have in our country. Like we say, you, you cannot have sex with this other person. You can't marry this other person. And that's what, that's the, that's what I'm trying to draw is like the, the only people whose bodies we regulate from the outside are those who we believe cannot be trusted to regulate for themselves. And so to lump the queer community in, to lump women (laughs) on the whole, in and say, uh, we'll make this decision for you. Well, and, and that's, I'm no, no, please, Becky. No. And I will make that decision for you says that what you have inside of you isn't good enough to right. make that decision. And I think that's bullshit. Yes. Right. And that well, was the process for me too. Was the that more is I learned, wrong. That's that is wrong. I learned to hear that. We need to listen yes. inside. We need to listen, but we need to learn how to, and I'm going to use that again, to remember who we are. And what if that is good? I believe it is good. There is good inside of every human being. There is good that is scripted at the very core of how we were literally woven together in our mother's womb Preach. to bring forth and breathe life into this world. We have something to bring here. Yes. So it's like, I don't know when life begins. I don't know when it does, but I know when we have the opportunity to awaken to the life that we have. Mm. And will we awaken to that life for the purpose of actually participating in something versus just literally saying, oh, I have to take this because this is what my religion says. This is what my denomination says. This is what my political side says. I'm just like, can we awaken to the wisdom that is already inside of us that is a part of every human being? Yes. And I think the other thing that touches to me is abuse. Like I think about, I'll make it personal. I think about my story of the things that I allowed to happen to my body intimately and sexually and what I was told was the proper way. Mm. And I experienced years of damage where I didn't speak up to the wisdom that was inside of me because I thought I was doing what I was supposed to be doing because someone told me because of what I was taught. And like, I just feel like, 
I wish I would have listened to what my body, what she was saying to me so much sooner because I would have spared years of body memories. Mm-hmm. But I'm so grateful to not be experiencing any more, but still occasionally I've talked about it in past yeah. seasons where like triggers come up. And so it's like, it's all connected. And like, I'm seeing you like as you're speaking and I'm seeing you get empowered, like I'm seeing your chest rise up and your hands go out and your voice get louder. And it's like, we're afraid of people being empowered, which is like so problematic. And it's like, Becky, you being empowered doesn't make me less empowered or less powerful. You're not robbing me of my experience and my inner wisdom of what I know because you're waking up to the inner wisdom that you know to be true about your body, right? The only way it becomes problematic is that if I want to have power over you. Right. Which is the problem. That's which is the, the biggest, problem. that's the root problem. And that's yeah. where how do we use that empowering and waking up to something isn't meant for us to suddenly silence and kill others. Mm-hmm. It's not meant for that. It's like, oh, what is alive in you? What is alive in you? And can we, and that's where I think that, I really honestly think that quote is, we were not meant to compete. Yeah. I don't think the two sides are meant to compete. I think that there is something of, wait, could it expand us all to learn from one another? Well, this is where I think about the beauty of feminine wisdom, feminine spirituality, because the language you just use is so of that expansion of community, of nurturing, of care. And we have in, when we talk about the patriarchal Christian world that we're living in, that's very he, that's very power over, that's very controlled, we've cut off so much of that. And there's fear around, can we allow the feminine to rise up and stand with the masculine? And to me, that is like the ultimate. And that's not talking about gender, like men versus women. That's within each of us. And it's much broader than that, even to talk about it in the binary, that we all embody that. But I think there's so much trying to repress. Like to me, that's the whole conversation around this is with with abortion is holding women and remember your place. Like that's so much of what I see because for my own experience, it's like the more that I got to learn from my own wisdom, I got to see like, no, I do know what's best for me. And you just start to see like, I'm having this kind of like download right now about expansion and pregnancy. Cause I, mm-hmm. cause I was talking about my body expanding mm-hmm. and like thinking about God um, like I am not having this baby because I need this baby to love me in a certain way or to like mm. have a certain path or to like be a certain person. Like Lucas and I are having this child because it's an overflow of love we have to offer without expectation that he'll even be able to or willing to love us back. And like, that's so fucking crazy. To me. Like, <laughs> that's really, that's, I mean, that's really how I feel. And like, if he decides he likes me and we're cool and like we end up bonding in our life, like I'm all for it. Of course, that's a hope and a desire I carry. But like, I already love him. If him decides to be she or they, or if him decides to be an accountant or decides <laughs> that he does love women or he loves men or like, all those things are sort of superfluous to me. Like, who are you? 
I want to get to know you, you know? And like, I can't imagine having him and then having all this like expectation of like, you're only going to get my love son if you are these things. That just feels so contrary to the whole experience already, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's so weird to me that we impose that perspective onto the divine to us, you know, and it's weird to me that we impose that for government that's meant to serve people, not to control people. It's, I mean, we talk about serving the people. We say that the president works for the people of the United States, but like, that's not how we're really doing it, you know? And so it's just like, it's just really like falling on me right now that like, gosh, like I, I love you, you know, baby boy. And like, I want you to have like the best chance to live a really, like a whole healthy life. And I, I can't imagine like at the very beginning of your life, making it about an exchange or an expectation as opposed to just like, we get to experience this together. And like, you are a product of the overflow of love that Lucas and I have. The divine dance. Oh, I know. Sorry. That just is like, that's really hitting me. And it's making me think like, God, do I really still believe in God? Like maybe I do if that's what it feels like, mm -hmm. you know? That's just not what was explained to me, you know, it was explained to me as like, you know, God made you, but like, man, is he disappointed with you immediately. <laughs> and unless you behave in all these ways and conform in all these ways, opposite of the instincts of how you think you're designed, like if you don't conform, then like, I mean, it literally is the definition of emotional incest which is mm -hmm. like, you will only receive my love if you give me the kind of love I want first. That's the therapy definition of that. And that creates either codependency or complete disconnection. Like those are the two reactions kids have to parents like that. And like, that has totally been, gosh, it's so classic. That's totally been my reaction to God in the faith community is I'm like, later, I'm going to vote with my feet. <laughs> like I got to get out of this. This is crazy. But like, what I actually really believe like deep down is that like the divine is like, I just love you. I made you and I made you multidimensional humanity because like all of it is good. Like it all belongs, you know, man, I just, I didn't expect it all to go here. Yeah. But. It's interesting. You were, you were saying like, you can't imagine having this baby born into the world and saying, all right, son, I love you if. so long as, and it just made me think we've talked on the show about how the idea, and I think this is an Esther Perel thing mm -hmm. that hurt people, hurt people. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that is the theology with which so many of us were raised was that like, we're introduced to God and immediately told God will always, always love you. If there's always the conditional thing, it's funny. I stumbled across, I, I don't spend my time looking at church websites, but I did actually this week stumble across some church's website that their youth ministry, they had like five tenets that will inform every gathering that they have together. And the first one, I don't remember any of the other four, but the first one was God is in a good mood. And I just thought, <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> No, I think it's actually beautiful. Oh, I thought, oh. I thought it meant like it could change. That's what that's I thought how I heard it. Sorry. No, no, no like too. the idea that God is always, mm. that oh. God is in a good mood. And, okay. and like, that's like for a me, static statement. Yeah, okay. that's, that's every gathering we are going to approach it from the mindset that God is in a good mood. And so it's it like 
the freedom that I felt even in reading that of like, it's okay for me to feel joy. It's okay for me to celebrate. It's okay for me to not feel like God is disappointed in me. Like God takes things so seriously all the time that, you know, he's not this stern, stressed out dad that comes home from work and is in a bad mood and sits down and watches TV and drinks beer all night. You know, like that's just not that God is, (laughs) that God is in a good mood was like such a helpful, Hmm. I mean, obviously I'm still talking about it a week later, but I say that to say that like, I think because so many of us were, came up with the idea that God's love is conditional and therefore all love, God's love is perfect and conditional, meaning that perfect love is conditional. And that allows us to impose on one another. Well, I love you if, yeah. That was one thing. There was a beautiful podcast I listened to while I was caulking my tub last week. It was Brene Brown interviewed Richard Rohr in a two-part series. And it was one of the most beautiful interviews because his voice is starting to get like just mm-hmm. softer and you can just hear his age. And so there's this way that like his wisdom comes through in this like humor and whatnot. But he said, they were talking about trans rights and like the devastation that that's causing in so many levels. And he's like, we're telling God who to love, oh. who they can love. And I was like, that's so true to like your point, like with what you're saying, it's like the level to which we in our humanity are trying to decide, again, it's the classic who's in, who's out, you know? And it's like, it's, it's counter, it's completely counter the whole narrative. And well, that was part of what I loved about his universal Christ is yeah. the idea of looking at others and seeing Christ in them. Mm-hmm. And not just like as a mental exercise, but like as a literal thing that like the living Christ exists in this other person. And I think that's part of like, you know, I, I started this saying like part of what we can bring to this conversation is to remind people of one another's humanity, but it, it can also be that, that we're reminding people of the Christ within one another. I hesitate to even say that because without the context of the book, for those who hear that, that may sound like crazy talk, but if you read the book and then revisit this conversation, the conversation that's kind of happening globally and locally in the U S I mean, I think there's something real there. Mm-hmm. Steve, I'm curious. I feel like your silence through this conversation has been, it says something. And I'd like to know <laughs> kind of where you're He's also is. just a good listener. Yeah. Well, I mean, a couple of things. One is I noticed Becky and Ashley and Latifah all getting very animated and engaged. And when I see that, that's not the time for... <laughs> Ladies, calm down. (laughs) Steve has something to say. That's why I said Steve is a good listener. Yeah. So that's about honoring space, Mm -hmm. holding space. Well, and that's actually how I interpreted it, which is why I wanted to call it out. Like, I think that when I say it speaks volumes, that's those are the volumes. In a good way. Yeah. And, you know, as a man learning to be with, and I'm going to use the word emotion in a good way. It's emotion, intelligence, mm-hmm. empowering, you know, all those things from women, strong women expressing strong feelings and emotions. I've had to learn <laughs> to not get threatened by that. Wow. That's so good and yeah. honest. Yeah. I've had to learn just to, this is good. These are my friends. This is mm-hmm. needed in the world. And I don't need to add my anything to that. I just need to be encouraged by that, be expanded by that. Mm. So that's the first thing I would say. 
The second thing I would say is I've been thinking about laws and rights, you know, Hmm. especially around trans rights. I wonder if people who are against trans rights, I wonder if what's behind that is a fear that my right to believe what I believe will be taken away from me. Hmm. I'll be somehow mandated to believe or act in a way that I do not believe in. Hmm. And I get that. I think we can all get in touch with that, how threatening that would be. Nobody wants to be told how to live or right. what to believe. <laughs> right. But like, but yeah, it's like the reason why no, like, that's what I'm saying to you. I, I see, yeah. I see your like, point though. Yeah. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is like, we have to keep going past that and to say that to allow our friends who are trans to have basic human rights yes. actually doesn't take anything away from anyone else. Agreed. And yeah, but what about my kids and school? And I don't want them believing, you know what? Your kids get taught a bunch of stuff in school. Yeah. Let's hope you're, you know, processing things with them. Also and helping from the them. internet. Also from the internet, also from a lot of things. And so there's just, I, I we have to, especially, and I, not everyone, even around the table identifies as Christians. Okay. But from my perspective, what it means to be a Christian is to be for the freedom of the world, Mm. (laughs) to be who they are and who God created them to be at personal cost at times, at personal cost at times. So for me as a Christian, and I would identify as Christian still, (sighs) to be for trans rights (laughs) flows right out of my belief in what Christianity is. And so anyway, that, that doesn't totally go through your question Luke, but that's important um, though. I'm really but, glad but, you yeah, said that. Yeah, that, that's mm-hmm. and I, I that I don't believe a lot of things all the way down to my toes, but that is one. Mm-hmm. That is one. One thing I think that is just devastating to me in this whole process too is that it doesn't mean. I think there's this belief that if we control it, it'll go away. Yeah. And the part that just kills me after walking through this experience with my first husband is like. It's not going away. It doesn't go away. It just means it's going to stay hidden in the the self-hatred and all the things that come for those individuals that it's true for will only become more. Like that's the part that's just because we want to keep adults comfortable. And I'm thinking about children in this situation that are discovering this and going through the process themselves. Like it's hurting so many lives because of Mm -hmm. a few people that want to stay comfortable. And yeah, it's just not okay. Yeah. And I, I, you know, it isn't okay. And let's even say it, um, you know, I think the status something like 50% of all trans folks seriously contemplate suicide. suicide. It's really important. So this is a matter of, this is a matter of life and death. That's what I say. It is life and death. And it's life and death for young people Mm -hmm. who haven't had the opportunity to even like expand into their adult life. Mm-hmm. And the percentage on depression is 70% mm-hmm. of youth that are wrestling with sexuality and wrestle with depression. And I think that's probably low. But what I have found repeatedly is people that are willing to open up and trust another human being with their story mm-hmm. in a safe place. There is healing. There is freedom. And there's this gradual movement towards, oh, maybe I'm not a mistake. Mm -hmm. And I want to be on the side that holds that. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I'm going to do it all right. I just want to be on the side that goes, yes, mm-hmm. who you are is good. And, and how you're made is good. And you yes. belong. Yes. And when we say that we have to have policies where we can't speak of people who are different in front of children, what we're really saying is that like that part of you is like a dirty disease that's contagious. And if we speak of it in front of our kids that like they might catch it. Yes. Like, that's and, the part. and that's the thing that I think is just so unhelpful because all the people I know in my life that are diverse in a myriad of ways, they're just, that's who they are. Someone didn't put it on them. <laughs> like I didn't mm-hmm. put my brown skin on me. It's, it's just there. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't put breasts yeah. on myself. They're just there. I didn't put the fact that I'm attracted to men on myself. It's just there. And my friends coming out to me didn't make me become gay. Like, you know, it expanded my life and deepened my theology and like made my life so much better to like know people have different experiences. And so I think when we want to enforce policy where we say, well, we cannot speak of these things or we cannot teach any of these things, like don't say gay or don't say, you know, any of this stuff, what we're really saying to that community is the essence of you is like a cancer or a disease. And like, I say that because like, even from the small experience where I posted a a pride post from my Christian platform of page CXVI, so many people wanted to compare being gay to having cancer. And I had to either block it or communicate to them that that is not a helpful way to have the discussion. And it's just an unfortunate argument that somehow got inserted in the conversation. And so it's like, gosh, like, that's why it matters, like how we discuss it. It really does. Yeah. That's what yes. that, it is important, yeah. you know, to like, if we're going to have a forum where people are coming in with ideas they're protecting or things they're afraid of. And so it, it, it makes them uncomfortable, it creates discomfort for their life when somebody is different than they are. Like, it still matters how we have the discussion. And when we're saying, like, it's unsafe to even speak of in certain environments, that's a message we're communicating to that community. You know, if someone told me, Latifa, like, we cannot speak of the fact that you have a brown female experience, that would say something to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful for everyone at this table because, like, I know regardless of whatever I bring up, like, I'm held with love and safety and respect. And, like, you're not going to, like, accuse me of something preposterous or write me off or, like, you give me a lot of freedom to, like, have ideas and then change them if I want, (laughs) or like have an experience. And then you don't devalidate my experience. You hold the space with me, even if it's different from your experience. And that this community around this table has been so healing for me and continues to be. And I'm so grateful for it. And I'm like, this is, this is the interaction that I wish we could have replicated, replicated nationally, globally, whatever, as, as big as you want. But like, It's just, it's literally about expanding. It's about making space. You know, I'm grateful for all of you. That's all I want to say. This episode of Fun Parts was produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Braun. Our artwork was designed by the very talented Alan Lusink. All the music you heard in this episode was composed, produced, and licensed by the fine folks at blue.sessions.com. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com and be sure to follow us on social media at Fun Parts Podcast. 
Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other Milieu Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes. And now, here's a scene from the next episode of Fun Parts. I think overall, the invitation to us all is to be aware of children as whole beings, and we get to learn from them only if we're willing to admit that we still have things to learn and we're not the experts. And I think it's a really important thing to use our power for presence, not use our power for trying to power over and control children.